0: Thank you, Michael. Wow, I'm loud. He says I'm a good... Somebody prayed that I was a good... I'm, remember there was a Pretty Good Records? Anybody remember that, Pretty Good Records? I'm a pretty good preacher. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take that much anyway. So thank you, uh, Steve, for that endorsement. And I hope you're uh, spiritually in a good place to say something like that. This morning, I'm glad you're here today. Praise the Lord, right? What a beautiful day. And it was 17 at my house this morning, which is more like what it ought to be. I heard some applause. So we do have some stable Christians in the room. Somebody up here said crazies. I won't mention any names, Kelly. But anyway, um, who did I want to pick on? I wanted to pick on... Oh, better. I'll behave myself. I have a couple of things I want to say. One is, um, Tim, I thought you were going to add in, do you know Blessed Assurance? Everybody, most of us know that old classic. Perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. For those of you who don't know, the author is blind. So you talk about joy from the Lord transforming. You can't get more visual no pun intended in that that uh, the joy of the Lord was her strength that was amazing and um, and you're right, and some of that joy comes out of a determined i believe uh, I've, i i um, I have learned things since being at harmony. Oh boy, have I learned things? But one of the things that I felt like the spirit drove home to me um, a few years in was learning to choose gratitude. I'm not great at it yet. So if you catch me lapsing, you can, uh, you know, say, gee, Pastor John, (laughs) that doesn't sound very grateful. And I'll take it. But uh, learning to be grateful. And I think people get into sin because they're never grateful enough. They, They never have enough. They don't think they're treated well enough, whatever it might be. And gratitude makes a big difference. That story of that young man and his life experience just reminds us how first world our problems are, right? The other day, my uh, th- don't laugh at me. Our newspaper was delivered. It was pouring out. It didn't make it up to the porch. It was soaking wet. You know how fun that is. Oh, what a trial. <laughs> And my wife wisely said, boy, this is a first world problem, isn't it? And I went, you are absolutely right. <sighs> Almost something you could skip over, right? It does put us put, put a good perspective on how we ought to be looking at things. God is good to us. And you're not coming in here today having people shoot at you. Thank God. And uh, hope it stays that way. If you um, want to follow along with where we're going to be I'm going to just make a couple of other introductory comments Last week we were preaching at the end of chapter 5 If you want to use the Bible that's in the chair in front of you It's page 1199 if you're new at this And don't know your way around the scripture And let's face it these days uh, Most stuff is on electronic books anymore, right? Electronic Kindles and phones and So finding your way through the Bible Is going to become a lost art And uh, I think it's healthy for us once in a while to take a hardbound copy and make sure we know our way around through it. And uh, that's why I've been inviting you to pick up the Bible in your hand and open it up and see what's in there. Because you might see something on the screen, but you may notice something else before or after the passage I'm preaching on which may minister to you. And if you are being ministered to by the Holy Spirit while I'm preaching... That's exactly how I feel. I don't get upset about that. That's great. If the Spirit drives something home that wasn't even my point, well, I don't know, but so be it. Everybody with me? Now, here's why I wanted you to look at page 1199, because we—I believe it or not, I'm actually done with Chapter 5. I just wanted you to be encouraged by that. And, now, and everyone else you know, who's been here is like, now we know why it takes him three and a half years to get through one book. Because you park on a section that has so much in it, you need to un- unpack it. But what's coming up now, today we're going to start with chapter 6, the first three verses, and then immediately after that comes verse 4. For in the case of those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and been made partakers, and then they've fallen away, one of the most difficult and troublesome portions of Scripture. So I don't want to preach it, so I'm just going to preach on verses 1 through 3 today. (laughs) And I felt like the Lord told me, try to make a sermon out of verses 1 through 3. You're a pretty good preacher. Anyway, so... And we're, Because it's going to take some time to unpack that subject that's coming. You know, think of what it touches on, election. It touches on eternal security. The great question, comment, which is unbiblical, one saved, always saved, whatever that means. <gasps> what do you mean unbiblical? I'll explain it later. So okay, so we 're going to have to spend some time on that, but we want to begin with Chapter Six, the first three verses. before I read it, the other thing I wanted to mention was <clears throat> last week, um, I felt like the Spirit was uh, ministering powerfully I, I do, and I was not feeling well. Some of you knew that, and um, I was so encouraged that what Paul says many times in our in our weakness god 's strength is made known. So, I'm feeling much better this week, so you know the sermon's gonna stink. I, I just, it's how the math works, right? So, I get, listen to the amens out there. I, mean, I can't get amen at the right time, but I get it at the wrong time. <laughs> like that. And then the other thing I'll mention is um, you can tell it isn't gonna be all that much. I walked in, and the worship team said, Boy, you're really low on research today, you know. That's all I've got. However, one of them is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, so you know you're in trouble right there. Are you ready to begin? Let's do that and make sure I covered everything. What happened to the video? Did you show that video already? I've told you people Christianity's fun. This was a 30 hour famine that they were doing, right? Kids going hungry to give money to the needs of the world. Are we having trouble? happening in here in church I heard through the grapevine pastor Tim wants to preach in that bunny outfit I may have to hold him to it that's hot but anyway I didn't know whether that was the Easter Bunny or if that was a bleak reference to Donnie Darko for those of you who know what that was remember Donnie Darko and for those of you don't nah, it isn't Harvey All right, but Christianity, in spite of the obvious, foolish, fun, silly things, really is fun to follow Jesus. It really is. I didn't say it's always fun and that there aren't painful times. And this whole book of Hebrews is about that. Let me just give you the context again. It's a group of Jewish believers who have good, sound background. They know what their Old Testament says, and they have invited Christ into their life, and later they're realizing that persecution is becoming a real problem. And so they're tempted to go back and say, no, we're just a normal synagogue here, so that they can avoid the pressure of the Roman Empire. Now I don't know about you, but when I was a new believer, I used to read, and I've mentioned this before, things like Tortured for Christ by Richard Wormbrand, people who were persecuted for their faith behind the Iron Curtain. It is really ugly out there. In fact, we're looking at a possible trip with our brother, the, the brother, brethren, the Wilsons again, for me, this fall, maybe in uh, November, to go to Myanmar, and uh, just read about myanmar families that have lost their fathers for preaching the gospel they've been put to death and so it's hardcore out there and i don't know about you but i believe that the holy spirit used those stories in my life to challenge me where am i at am i ready for that in fact I didn't unpack this one time in the past passage that we were in about the, the word of righteousness. Don't fall away from the word of righteousness that one commentator named Lane said that the word of righteousness was the word of the gospel even if it cost you your life. I think it's healthy for us as believers to ponder, am I in, I, am I in with both feet the way those saints were? I'm not saying it'd be easy. And I'm also saying, I'm a personal believer in dying grace, that when the time comes, he'll give us the grace we need if we've learned how to lean on him in the here and now, in the life that we're living now. So with that as a background, I'd like you to follow along as I read chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And I think I put it on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. We will press on. Let's pray together we bless you and we worship you today, God, because you have made a way for us to gain life eternal. If we were to believe the culture we live in, we would believe that this is all there is, and you better make the most of it and get as much as you can, but this is not all there is. There is a life eternal, and we sang about it this morning, 10,000 reasons for not just now but forever. When that day comes, when I have to pass through death's door, may I be singing, may I be ready to see my Savior, and may I have sent forward as much of my savings accounts as I possibly can. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a sure word of prophecy. We can depend on what you say is true. Not always do we understand everything in the Scripture, but we do know that there are some unchangeable truths and that you have given your word. In fact, we're going to be getting into sections of Scripture that talk about how you can't possibly lie. And so we rely on your promises. And today, we pray that we might have maybe a bit more understanding that might spur us on toward maturity beyond what we know as basic things and start to go deeper, more in love with you, more transformed by your Holy Spirit to look more and more like this person that we say we worship, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and all of God's people said amen and amen. So I've already given you the context And uh, it's that background of encouraging and spurring on the believers who have, in their case, a Jewish background. If you've been well taught in scripture, you understand a lot of the Old Testament too, right? If you've been in it. uh, There's some pushing today against the Old Testament. They're not sure about it. And frankly, I think it just reflects weakness as far as uh, spiritual reality. One day I was going through that important men's store, uh, Harbor Freight tools, and uh, I was in there and there was an orthodox friend in there, you know, full regalia. And he and I somehow struck up a conversation which doesn't happen very often. And he was, he was telling me his name and when he told me his name, oh, you'd know my name because it's a famous name and it was, I, now it's been a while, I think it was Moses. I said, oh yeah, I get that name. And we started to chat a little, and as verses started coming out of me, he stared at me and just said, you know an awful lot about this. (laughs) I wasn't raised Jewish, (laughs) but I do because I've been in God's word, and the New Testament and Jesus and all of it comes out of that root. And some of that's going to get unpacked in our message today. That's what he's talking about. Moving on from the fundamentals He doesn't mean erase the fundamentals, leave that foundation in place. That's what you are building on, and let's build something. Let's go on from there. So the first verse we want to park on specifically is, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching, the ABCs, that's what it means, about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. So why did I call this Rick Warren strikes again. Anybody remember what Rick Warren wrote? The purpose-driven life, and he made millions. And all of you people say, yeah, those preachers, they're all in it for the money. He gave it all away. By the way, did you know that? He lives on his church salary and housing allowance, and all the money he makes from those books goes to missions. That's a real disciple. I respect that. People pick on him. I say, just shut up and you do equal, then you can talk. Right? What on earth am I here for? A little gospel track. I've got one here today. If you want it today, you've never read something like that, I'll give it to you at the end of the service. What on earth am I here for? The purpose-driven life. I hate people like this, don't you? First line, it's not about you. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind or your happiness even. What an obnoxious person. It's far greater than your family, your career, even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. Oh, I hate meddlers. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. The search for purpose of life has puzzled people for thousands of years. That's because we typically begin at the wrong starting point ourselves. It's all about me. There was a song, It's All About You, Jesus. Anybody remember that? My worship team up north made a spoof out of it. It's all about me, Jesus. And you sing it as a prayer, you know. And if I don't get my way, I'll have a snip. It's just great. It was a great song. Anyway, I won't quit my day job. Here we go. Here's the word. Leaving behind the elementary teaching, let us press on to maturity. Why did I call it Rick Warren Strikes Again? Put that verse up again. Thank you, bro. Maturity. The word maturity is teleos. It means the end. Teleology. Teleology. What is the end? What is the purpose? And what it involves is not just growing up. It means if a person is teleos, if a man is, he's called mature. But it means he's matured, he's grown up, and he's found his niche. He's found his purpose. He's fulfilling some reason that he exists. He's moving forward. And so the language here says, let us literally, let us be carried forward. Let us be driven for like the wind drives dust. I used to live in Tucson. We had tumbleweeds and the wind would drive them. And when you had a good windstorm, you might have 50 of them in your front yard that you had to clean. And they got prickers, by the way. That's not fun. But being driven by the spirit into maturity is a good thing. Let us be carried along. Let us press on to maturity, to not only growing up so that we have a good job and we do pretty well in life so that we fulfill, why has God blessed me with this particular job and why has he blessed me with my family and this context in which I live? What is some of the intention that God had in mind fulfilling a purpose? Now our old uh, uh, forebears and Reformation doctrine put together the shorter cate- the catechism. You know what a catechism is. If anybody's having a knee jerk reaction against that word because of you know some negativity about certain churches that use catechisms, throw that aside. It's from a Greek word, catecheteo, which means to instruct. That's all it means. So when people get ready to get baptized, we do a very short catechism here at Harmony. Did you know that? (sighs) We just don't call it that. We call it the baptismal class. (laughs) Duh. But it's a catechism. It's like, this is what baptism means. You need to make sure that you know Jesus. And then you're doing this not because it magically gives you grace or makes you go to heaven. You're doing this because you're an obedient disciple and Jesus commanded it and that should settle it. And So here I am doing it. Somebody will recognize this. What is the chief end of man? This is their catechism. Yeah, you guys know the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To have joy in the process. We heard something about that earlier. To enjoy him forever. Chief end of a window is to let in light. Man's chief end is to serve God. If he do so faithfully on earth, he will, listen, he will be happy with him forever in heaven. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Thank God for this. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of Old and New Testaments. Catch that? It is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. In order to to attain, this is the last thing I'll read, in order to attain the chief end of our life, two things most important for us to know are what are we to believe and what are we to do? These two things the Bible explains to us very fully. It tells us what God is, what he's done for us, also what he requires for us to do. And here's the line I loved. In order that it may be well with us now and hereafter. You know, I tend to thump that subject a lot. It's not just, I can't wait to go to heaven and get out of this miserable place. Sometimes it is a miserable place, and there's a reason we look forward to heaven. Everybody says, right? Although in our culture, we don't think much about it. So it's not just a matter of getting It's so that I can fulfill purpose and have joy in spite of the difficulty even now. Easier said than done sometimes, but nevertheless, our inheritance So it implies growing up and fulfilling a purpose, this particular passage. One of the verses I love in the New Testament, it says in Acts 1, I can't remember, I think it was Paul preaching, but it might have been Peter. He says, when David fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation, he fell asleep. If you haven't fallen asleep yet, I'm not talking about because of my preaching, which Could probably do the job pretty well. If you haven't fallen asleep yet, guess what? There are purposes of God still. They may not be magnificent and glorious. They may be very simple, seem mundane, but there's a purpose that God has for you in the here and now. Amen? Amen? He does. Basics out of the Old Testament and the New Testament are the the New Testament builds on the Old Testament. So when we read this, elementary teachings, there is some disagreement. I want to go on record. You may read a commentary and say, oh, this says something different than Pastor John said. Don't give up your faith because of that. Uh, There's disagreement. My opinion, and having searched this out, the best explanation of these elementary principles point more to the Old Testament. And here's an example out of the mouth of Jesus. Look what he says to, his, uh, to the Jews he was dialoguing with. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And by the way, they'd be right. You think correctly that they have... What do they do? They bear witness of me. They're all about him. Pictures of him, his coming, pictures of his messiahship, his kingship his uh, sacrifice, his being the sacrificial lamb, it's all through the Old Testament so it's of great value, so the foundation I believe that makes most sense on this is primarily talking about Old Testament and Jewish experience that they know about as a foundation and he's saying let's press on past that, let's not go back to that and say we're just a nice little synagogue here, let's rise up and be mature Christians, we're Yes, we have that background, but we are followers of the Messiah. And so we're not afraid to say that. makes the most sense. So what I've got is that that was my introduction. For those of you who are uh, note-takers, we already passed the context. I already told you about it. We're going to talk about the foundation and then talk about the project. You know, you lay a foundation, then you build something. Lay a foundation, then you build something. So the foundation... Has three sections, falls into three points. Isn't that handy for a Baptist preacher? That's just perfect. (laughs) So if you want the fill ins, here they are. You could probably figure it out by reading the text. Haven't you already figured it out? It's in there. Section one, repentance and faith. Section two, washings and laying hands. Section three, resurrection and judgment. I was all done with my sermon. I looked at that and I went, isn't that interesting? It describes where you start, where you live now, and where you're going to end up. Past, present, future. Past, present, future. If you've come to Christ, then that's part of your past. That's part of your background. And some of this is reflected in the Old Testament, so I want to take just a few minutes to didactically walk us through. That's just instruction, right? I'm not... Waxing elegant, pre- uh, you know, preaching heavy and exhorting. I'm just telling you, here's the facts. Ready? Repentance and faith. I think it was Jesus who said, You must be born again. Yep. Wasn't it him? Yep. Yep. You're not sure? No, I'm sure? I'm sure too. Yep. You must be born again. How did the Old Testament saints get saved? Is that born again? Yes. You must be born again. You have to be. I'm going to show you. Here we go. Ready? First, repentance and faith. The concept of genuine repentance and getting right with the God of heaven is an Old Testament concept as well as the New Testament. When Jesus comes on the scene, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, both of them are preaching repentance. The first sermon Jesus ever preached. Anybody remember it? First one. Mark. Gospel of Mark. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's it. Repent. You remember my uh, contractor joke, right? Repaint you thinner. Never mind. Now you want to know, right? Now you want to know? Yeah, a guy was cheating his customer. He's watering down his paint so he can get more money out of the job and the water the rains come and wash his paint off and he goes to court and the judge has to say repaint you thinner (laughs) that that was worth coming just for that right i know bum bum bum. yeah (laughs) i told you i won't quit my day job you're gonna have to fire me okay Here's what it says in Isaiah. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, and you can find it all over in the Old Testament. He has said, in repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. The concept of being a true Jew, and Paul makes a distinction between those who were of the household of Judaism and those who were truly followers of Yahweh. There's a difference if you've repented and put your faith in God. And that brings you to the second one. Let me set up a story before we look at it. If you read the book of Genesis, it's a great, uh, of course, a great foundational book. Somewhere around verse uh, 20, uh, chapter 22, a remarkable story happens that's going to play out later. And we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But Abraham was the one called out by God To follow him and promised, God promised him, even though he and his wife were old and hadn't had children and couldn't have children, he promised him that there was going to be a son born from Sarah who was going to be the father of a huge nation. Which came to pass, friends. It's history. It's history. But as God made promises, as he heard the voice of God and followed... By the way, people hear the voice of God. They don't always come to salvation. He heard the voice of God, came out of Ur of the Chaldeans. One day God said, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to promise you this child. And then he also tells him about the land and what have you. Abraham looks at the stars of the sky and God says, that's what your descendants going to look like. Wow! And here's the verse, Genesis. Then he believed in the Lord, and what? God imputed righteousness to him. It wasn't based on what he did. Go do some good deeds. He believed what God said. He trusted the promise. He got born again. Life was in him now. And so this concept, this foundation that we read about in the passage uh, that we're looking at, the fundamentals of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. They're here in the Old Testament scripture. By the way, repentance of, toward dead works, the reason I really think this is talking about Old Testament concepts, uh, one author wrote it this way. They could not attain in their work righteousness and empty Judaism Judaism, what Jesus provided for them. The sure hope of blessed resurrection in Jesus and the certainty that they would be justified for eternal life, through eternal judgment, all of that was a promise fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And when Paul talks about your old way of life, he talks about dead works. Meaning that they can't produce life. They can be a result of life, in which case God rewards us. You look confused. Did I leave you in the dust, or are you with me? Okay. You're, okay. you're focused. Okay, I like that. You're, you're one of my favorites now. <laughs> Did that make sense? Because I have life, I serve and please the Lord. There's this thing that grows up in me. I want to please Him. It right? comes from new life. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Repentance and faith. This is where we begin. If you were in a theology class, you would learn that conversion. You ever hear that word conversion? It's almost a naughty word today. Conversion, from the Christian perspective, is repentance and faith. I repent from what is wrong. That's a good thing to do. But a lot of people repent for a time. You know, they feel sorry for it. They got caught. They repent. Oh, man, I can't believe I did that. I have to take another step. I have to repent and turn away and exercise faith in the God who forgives me. See, in repentance and trust, you will be saved. That's what it said. So, so uh, ma'am. Trust. It said trust. Yeah, it said trust in the verse. Yeah. Uh, What version do you have? Can we go back to that? I thought. Oh yeah, yeah. Rest. You shall be saved. Quiet. Quietness and trust. There it is. Yes. Yes. Was that easy? Not. Not sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. No. In rest. Resting in God. Yeah, resting, you're welcome, thank you. Um, where are we? Number two, section two, washings and laying on of hands. Isn't it funny when we read this in the book of Hebrews, don't you ask yourself, what is he talking about? And so, did I, well I did, because immediately we would assume, it's on about baptism and some people think that is it, but it's not as we think of it. In fact, it's a different word used for baptism. The normal word, when Jesus got baptized and John the Baptist was baptizing, baptismos, that is one word, this is a different word, which is used for the Jewish process of washing hands and washing uh, holy objects and what have you. So there's an implication here that he's pushing back further toward the Old Testament. Like I said, I wouldn't go to the death on this, but I am saying that that seems to be the best explanation. And let me show you some illustrations from the Old Testament to help us understand that I think they understood then if they were truly following God by faith that they recognized these things in themselves don't do magic. In fact, David has a great statement, right? When he is repenting, you don't desire sacrifice. He does desire sacrifice. But he's saying, in my case, that ain't going to save me. It's in true repentance. uh, the, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You combine that with the outward action, now God is pleased. Oh, there's a connection, isn't there? Even in Christian baptism. I can't baptize you to make you a Christian. You have to be a Christian for your baptism to matter. That's why I got baptized three times, can never get enough. No, that's not right. And here's why. I'm just telling you my story. One, I was baptized as a Catholic baby. I had no choice over that. Then I got born again as I was growing. You have to ask yourself, Have I been? what is this raving old guy talking about? Have I been born again? Have I repented? Do I recognize I was wrong and he's the king? Even if you were raised goody two-shoes. My wife, who is just one of the best gifts in my life, she was a goody 2 shoes. She was. She has to repent deeply of her worldly summer. I'm telling stories behind her back. You can all tell it. We, we, she's very public. She had a worldly story. She went with a friend to a bar. That was it. <laughs> Shameful woman. But when she, at four years old, met Jesus, and she did, she knew she had wrong things in her life. And, you know, she's, if you know my wife, you know she's one of the sweetest, most nurturing, mercy gifted people you can possibly meet. But once in a while I say, You're so good. I, I just, you're so good. And she'll say, mm, Yeah. <laughs> and in one of those tender moments, she'll come clean and admit, You know, I, I could be mean. So can you. Some of you, I can tell you were mean girls in high school. (laughs) Some of you guys, because you're still... Anyway. And some of you guys... I won't use the word I like to. Anyway, yeah. You get what I'm saying. Repentance and faith. You repent, and then you get baptized. So I got baptized as a Catholic baby. I got baptized as a wet Baptist... Baptist Church, went to the church I grew up in that I turned away from and went out into Eastern religions, occultism, everything. Stupid. And then Jesus apprehended me. I got born again. The lights came on. I've told you that story. Christmas became real. It happened two months before Christmas. I had to go back to my pastor and say, this is a very odd thing. I'm a member of your church. I shouldn't be, but I'm a member of your church, but I need to be baptized again. And I told him the story, and he went, you're absolutely right. And so Mother's Day, 1972, I took the plunge again. So, And I don't, people who have been baptized here know, I try to ask questions carefully so that you don't get baptized again just to do it because it feels good. Oh, I feel like I want to do this. No, if you were genuinely born again and you got baptized, that is valid. Doesn't matter if you fell away for a while or whatever. I didn't fall away. I never had it. That's the difference. So this wasn't supposed to be a lecture on baptism, but it just became one, okay? (laughs) So I'm sure some people's wheels are going around. Feel free to ask us questions anytime. Physical sanitation was part of the Old Testament washings, okay? But it was also a ceremonial thing. The priests had to wash completely before they could serve God, and they're a picture of us eventually, the priesthood of believers. So we had to be washed, we had to be cleansed. It's a picture of washing away sin, but you don't wash away sin with water. Doesn't work that way. And even the Old Testament made it clear. If people were trying to bargain with God, which we still do, oh, if I do this, maybe God will bless me. What a waste of time. But if they understood what the scripture taught, they would see things like this. Then, this is Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your physical body flesh and give you a heart of flesh, meaning a soft heart. Your hard heart will be replaced with a soft heart. Isn't that cool? There's more. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Isn't that the evidence of new birth? All of a sudden I know I want to please God. It's not bargaining and being a goody two-shoes hoping I earn brownie points and when we get on the scales going into heaven my good deeds outweigh my bad and the scale goes like pook and I slide into the kingdom. Woo-hoo! doesn't work that way. Ma'am, Don't know. I'd have to look that up. Good question, yeah. Could be, though, because it is the washings of the New Testament, you know, where the, the Jews were, uh, hey, they didn't wash their hands. It was that very word, yes. I didn't check that text, so I'd have to look. In the Greek, have to look it up in the Greek, yeah. So, uh, let's see, where was I? Yes. So it's a picture, as the New Testament puts it, when when Paul preaches about it, of washing of water with the word, the regeneration that we read about in Titus, the book of Titus. It's a picture of a spiritual reality. And by the way, just a little side note historically. uh, About 200 A.D., one of the Roman priests, Hippolytus... um, When they had baptism, he writes in his writings that when they had baptisms before the day of actual baptism, which would take place on a Sunday, on the preceding Thursday, the candidate was required to have a ritual bath for the removal of impurity, washings, and Researchers say that mostly comes from the Jewish community. They had those ways of thinking, of getting prepared psychologically with an outward ritual. So when it says we should move on from washings and laying of hands, it's related to that. And some of it got into the what ultimately became the Roman Catholic Church. We don't practice that today, and the Bible doesn't demand it. I'm just explaining that some of that happened, which indicated in the Jewish community it would not have been foreign to them at all. Here's the key, new birth, the inner compulsion to want to serve God by keeping his law from the heart, not from outward compulsion. Only you can answer whether you're still hoping you can negotiate with God. Only you can answer that. You have to answer that for yourself because there's no negotiating. I can't negotiate with Him. I've received the gift, not because I'm better than anyone else. In some ways, I'm worse. It's because of the grace of God and in repentance and rest, repentance and trust. I'm resting in His promise. I gain life eternal. What about the laying on of hands? This is why I think these two things relate to the present. The first is where you start, repentance and faith. You become a Christian. The second is washings and laying on of hands. This relates to community, the the covenant community, the people of God. Here's an Old Testament reference that will give you an example, just one example of many. It could go all over the place. It could be about ordination. It could be identification. In the New Testament, they prayed over each other. See, you're all reading that while I'm talking. That's okay. You're reading the Bible. You're very good. You're good. I'm going to double your salary. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. We'll, We'll look at it. When the sin which they have committed, this means in the company of the people, this is part of the law of God, when a sin becomes known, the assembly shall offer the bull of the herd for a sin offering, bring it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the congregation who represent us all shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be slain before the Lord. What is it a picture of? Identification. So our sins, we're laying them on this bull, the bull... Because the wages of sin is death. And so our sin is atoned for. It's paid for. We identify. Isn't that what happens in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? We baptize. We lay hands. Even the baptism ceremony many times is praying with laying on of hands. There's an identification of us being together in community. It's identifying with the kingdom people together. We're in this together. Marks of the covenant, baptism, prayer for the spirit, prayer for ordination, prayer for healing, whatever it might be. Okay, And I know people freak out a little. What do you mean praying for the Holy Spirit? That's another subject we don't have time for today. But I'll say this. I haven't said this in about four years, I think. Most of my brethren in typical conservative churches need to have a crisis with the Holy Spirit they're overdue they really are and sometimes it happens yes in praying together and seeing God move seeing God heal I've laid hands on people multiple times for the spirit to encourage them to help them I've prayed for healing I've seen things happen from God there's just it's part of the community can I get snotty for a second no, you don't want me to be stuck, but I'm going to be. You can't do this over the internet. doesn't work. There's something about the way God's ordained it that we are together, that there's a connection, whether we're super fantastic Christian community or we're just stumbling along. It doesn't matter. God intends his children to be in community, even in a weak community. So here comes Bonhoeffer. Yeah, uh uh-oh. Christian brotherhood is threatened most often at the very start by the greatest danger of all, the danger of being poisoned at its root, the danger of confusing Christian brotherhood with some wishful idea of religious fellowship, of confounding the natural desire of the devout heart for community with the spiritual reality of Christian brotherhood. In Christian brotherhood, everything depends upon its being clear right from the beginning, first... That Christian brotherhood is not an ideal, it's a divine reality. It already exists, even if it's spastic and broken. You get that? So, in other words, it is. This is one of the things that helped me grow being in harmony. There were things that were difficult, there are things that are really cool that I see happening. All of it is the Christian community. Broken, strong, weak, good things, glorious, doesn't matter. We're all in this together, right? Think of how it must have been with the Jewish people. There was trouble left and right here and there, right? So, anyway, second, that Christian brotherhood is, is a spiritual and not a psychic reality. He makes one statement here that I love The sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. Oh, I can. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. In other words, you have people that are like, the church has to be this way or I'm not playing. God doesn't like that argument at all. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Oh, listen, you gasped. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Wow, man, I hate guys like that. He's telling me I'm wrong on some of my attitudes, right? Right? Doesn't mean we don't want to improve. Doesn't mean we don't want to see more of the nature of Jesus manifest. Of course it does. But it means even if we're stumbling along, boy, if you you know, is it amazing to you that Paul talks to the Corinthians? Remember the Corinthians? The Corinthian church was one of the most messed up crowds you could find, and he calls them sanctified by Christ Jesus. What? He hadn't been around lately when he wrote that. No, they're the saints, even with their warts. You know, we tend to catalog. Here's, and we do, we all do. Me too. Here's the, I, I even say there's a little flock. There's those who don't want to be part of the little flock. That's true. The Bible does make those kind of distinctions. But every born-again child of God, whether they're just starting their journey, whether they're stuck on a plateau too long, or where they're flying, we're all in Christ. Therefore, there's always hope. There's always potential for transformation, right? And I have to remind myself of that when I get frustrated and saying, and I have to be careful that this person's never going to choose what's right. Ooh, I hope I'm wrong about that. I think God would want to push back on my snotty attitude. Maybe they will surprise me, right? Here's what else it says. Oh, my gosh, I have to hurry up. We're we're almost out of time. So that was Bonhoeffer. I'll stop now. Last section. We begin with repentance and faith. In this life, God never intended any Christian to be a lone ranger. We're supposed to be in community. I'm not even going to waste time harping on Dumb arguments with people about why they've quit the church permanently. Not even going to waste time about it. you got something in your heart you got to fix. That's all there is to it. Now, I don't mean you have to come to one of these churches, but you need to be in a community of believers that are spurring each other on toward maturity. Let's press on toward maturity. Last section. Start with repentance and faith. We live in the here and now. We encourage each other. We worship like we did today. We encourage each other in our most holy faith to move forward toward maturity. And here's the end. Where are we going to end up? Resurrection and judgment. It's embedded in the Old Testament. It really is. Here's the story I promised you. This is the most important part, really. So Abraham finally has his son Isaac. And Isaac is the one that is going to be the forefather of all the Jewish people. This is the fulfillment of the promise. And God says to him, Oh, uh, Abraham, come here. I want you to take your son Isaac. Your son, who you love, just in case you mixed it up, your son who you love, I want you to take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there to me on an altar. Now, remember, we didn't have the law yet, so he couldn't go look up Exodus 20 and say, look, thou shalt not kill God. You said it right Couldn't get away with that. It's It's a test. It's such a profound story, even the pagan world wrestles with it. A theologian slash philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, wrote a book about this. I'm going to download it again and read it sometime. Fear and Trembling, trying to help people enter into what's going on in Abraham's mind. As three days he journeys to the place with the wood on a donkey with his servants and his son, and they stop, and then Abraham says to the servants, Wait here while my son and I go up to worship the Lord and don't miss it, we will return to you. Did you miss that? It's Old Testament. And we will return to you. So this passage describes the faith of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, this is chapter 11, all the models of faith. When he was tested, by the way, the Lord reserves the right to test the hearts of his people. He's doing it pretty regularly. I'm not here. Uh, When he was tested, offered up Isaac, he who had received the promise, in Isaac shall your son, uh, shall your, yeah, was offering up his only begotten son, it was he to whom it was said, God said to him, in Isaac your descendant shall be called. You all remember, he tried to solve it himself with another woman. That didn't fix. No, in Isaac... So I'm telling you to take Isaac, who I promised you about, and go kill him. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. What's a type? It's a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus to come, and there it is. It's like he got his son back, just like the father got his son back, and we got our son and Savior back, the Lord Jesus. Isn't that cool? I love stuff like that. I get all wound up. So this idea of resurrection and judgment is embedded in the Old Testament. It's a foundational part of Christianity. It's foundational. Something that we're forgetting about today is like there's nothing wrong. There's no wrong. There's no absolutes. There's no right and wrong. There's no judgment. There's no reckoning later. Wrong there is. Jesus told the same time of truth That I'm about to read now out of the Old Testament. Do you remember when Jesus said it? You can read it in chapter 5 of the book of John. He said, One day, those who are in the grave are going to hear the voice of the Son of God. Remember that? They're going to hear, and they're going to live. They're going to come back. And then, just so you don't miss it, everyone, his children and those who are not, are going to hear and come forth some to the judgment of life. Daniel 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. The hard nuts and bolts of Christianity, why we are to be different people in this world. Past, present, future. Future. Resurrection, whenever Derek's here, he gets wired up about resurrection because your family's been touched by death and you know how important it is that one day God's going to take a seed of this DNA and raise me from the dead. It'll be the real me. I'm going to know everybody. It's going to be interesting. I don't know what it's like. I ain't been there yet. But it's going to be awesome. What's the project? Don't have time to tell you. We've got a foundation settled. The project is God wants us to grow and develop. Fire through In fact, don't put that first one up. The Bible tells us that God gave spiritual leaders to the church to develop the equipping of the saints till we become mature and full of the knowledge of the Son of God. Right? That's what it tells us. And we come to the fullness of Christ. And there's one more line we can put. We're no longer children, but the last verse on that passage is verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him. We're to look like Jesus. Did you know that the early name Christian was a mockery? Did you know that? Little cry. It's Christian, a little, you know, it's like sermonettes for Christianettes. You know the ending, ets? It's a little... Christian, little Christs. Oh, there they are, those little Christs. There they go. Look at they're trying to be like that Jesus person who they say rose from the dead. Those little Jesus people, those Christians, those little Christs. And the Christians probably said, dude. (laughs) Great. Keep it up. I'm going to show you something. In order to grow... We're going to have to do, I won't do it, I won't put it on the screen because it'll take too long. Romans chapter 12 is the verse most of you probably know by heart, one and two. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies and then be renewed in your mind so you are renewed in your mind so that you may prove the will of God. You may find out what the acceptable, you may figure out in your maturity what you're here for. And it relates to gifts, by the way, which if you're not using... And, you, and somebody said, I don't know how many people know what our gifts are. That's on you. It's scripture. You got the Bible. Have at it. Off you go. Anyway. <laughs> Let God renew your mind. I don't have my... Uh, I meant to bring my little zapper. Put that picture up. Three weeks I've been trying to show this. Non sequitur. Non uh, sequitur. Little comic that I enjoy, about half the time. This one was great. I don't know if you can read that. It says, the irresistible force meets the immovable object. The librarian has the facts as they are, the guy sitting in the way, the truth as I see it. I'm right. The facts as they are versus the truth as I see it. If I'm going to grow in grace, you better put that down before I get stoned. Not this kind of stone. Stoned by... See how you people are terrible. I've got to be open to this reality from Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. The gospel, here's the good news. In its view of the true gospel, everyone is wrong. Somewhere along the line, we're all stepping in it. Everyone is loved. Isn't that good news? And everyone is called to recognize it and change. Here's my question. I'm not talking about getting new information. Your information saturated. I'm talking about new perspective, maybe some new insight about myself that I never wanted to really see or how I interact with others or whatever it might happen to be. You get what I'm saying. That is pressing on to maturity. Let's stand together as we close. Sorry I kept you two minutes over. You can dock my pay. All right. In the name of Jesus, we want to thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. When I looked at this text, I thought, Lord, there's not much in it, but oh my goodness. I think there were a few things in it and some some things for us to ponder and to ask you, can you help me move forward, help me press on, be carried along by the Spirit toward maturity? In the name of Jesus, would you help us? Because, Lord, you've got great things in mind. We don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. So for your namesake, would you lead us in the paths of righteousness, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless. Have a great day. We'll be up here to pray with you or pass on the book.